Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. So I began to look at the different moms in the Bible. I, I thought of uh, Sarah, who had Isaac, you know, the, this child of faith. And then I thought about a Jochebed, you know, Moses' mother, a, a child of deliverance. And then I thought about Hannah and the mother of the prophet Samuel, a, a child of desire. And, and then I began thinking about grandmothers. I thought of Ruth, uh, David's grandmother, a child who was born to be king. And then, of course, there's Elizabeth, who's the mother of John the Baptist, the child who was born to be the forerunner of Jesus. And then ultimately we thought of Mary, and uh, who is the mother of the Christ child. And all these things were going through my head. And then I began to think, who was the first mom in the Bible? And of course, it's Eve. If you are familiar with the creation story from the book of Genesis, where God created Adam in his own image and then created Eve to be his helper, his companion, because it wasn't good that man should be alone. Well, if you're familiar with the story, Eve is having this conversation with the serpent, and the serpent tempts her to believe that God um, has told her a lie. And then all of a sudden, Eve invites her husband, Adam, in on the conversation. Before you know it, they disobey the one thing that God had asked them uh, not to do. And everything changed. There are perfect world of paradise changed to a place of heartache. This beautiful reality spirals out of control. All of a sudden, work now is going to become hard, and there would be pain and childbearing. Everything is fractured on that day. And in, and in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20, it says something really interesting. It says that Adam named the woman Eve because she was the mother of all living. Now, I, I say that, I find that interesting because she's not a mom in chapter 3. That doesn't come till later in the next chapter that she becomes a mom. But it says Adam named the woman Eve because she was the mother of all living. And so this tells me that motherhood is far more extensive than just giving physical birth uh, to a baby. Now, I think if we were out on the streets and we asked people, hey, what do you think motherhood is? You get lots of answers. You probably would get, oh, it's, it's nurturing, it's compassion, it's teaching, it's loving. It's always going to come up. It's all about having, you know, babies. God's image is displayed both in the man and the woman. We're, we're on equal playing ground when it comes as far as being in the image of God. Although we are distinctly different. There, there are distinctions, obviously, between a man and a woman. And I find it very hard, I, I guess I find it very challenging in this culture that we live in that are trying to make men and women the same when we haven't been, cre we haven't been created the same. We're equal, it's just that we're different. For instance, you know, God uh, designed man to generally be uh, stronger physically. Now, I realize you can go on the internet and probably find some lady who can, you know, bench press 500 pounds. But in general, men's bodies tend to be a little bit stronger. And God created the woman physically different. You know, their, uh, their bodies are softer, hips are rounder, they're more nurturing, uh, more tender, uh, gentler, they're, they're comforters. And, and I think we should be celebrating the differences between men and women because God created us that way. One is not better than of the other. We need each other, and, and God has physically 
have made differences between us. So there's lots of differences, how we think and how we act. And so it's not about competing with each other. We were designed to complement each other. And if there was ever a time that I feel like maybe the family is under attack, it's now fatherhood under attack and just outrageous attacks even on motherhood. And so this morning, I just want to remind our moms, you are making a difference. You may not see it right now, but you are. Every conversation, every correction that you may make. And I realize there are some days you, you sit back and you just wonder, are you making any difference in the life of your child? Are you making any progress? But I want you to, I hope you know deep down in your heart that God has entrusted you with that child or with those uh, children. I'm 56 years old and I'm still feeling the impact uh, of my mom and how she lives her life. I, there's so many memories I, of laughing with her and playing with her and her coming to sporting events and us riding motorcycles together. So many memories just simply from spending time together. And like most, most kids, I probably didn't say it enough how much I valued her and how much I loved her. But here's the truth of the matter. My mom took me to church. My, my mom read God's word to me. She, she prayed with me at night. I, I am a child of God. I think a lot to do with the influence that my mom had. And, and I'm in ministry. And, and so I really believe God, uh, God, my mom did her very best with God's help to raise a son and two daughters who would live lives that would make a difference in this world. I mean, everything you do, mom, impacts your children. And I realize the list is huge what a mom you know, does. There are lunches to be made and schedules to be managed and discipline to be administered and a thousand other things as well. And yet so often at the end of the day, you find yourself maybe sitting in your chair and you're thinking, what exactly did I get done today? Well, I want to tell you, you are impacting a life. Something was accomplished as you impact and influence a life. You communicate to your child every time you just spend time with them that they matter, that they're important, that they're worth fighting for. And I say that, take that from me, uh, a man who's still being impacted and influenced by how his mom lives her life today, making a difference for all of eternity. So mom, thank you for the great work uh, that you are doing. You, what you do really really matters. And so this week as I was reading through scripture, I, I came across this one text where the Apostle Paul says something that really uh, stood out to me. In fact, it was very profound and it's actually found in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. I'm just going to read it quickly to you. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, of course, you can grab, grab it and you can follow along as I read it. 2 Timothy, uh, actually chapter 1. Let me just read the first couple of verses to you. Paul says, an apostle of Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promises of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son. Now it wasn't his biological son, but it was a spiritual son. Paul had, had quite an impact on Timothy's life. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. 
You know, Paul could have simply just ended that sentence by saying, I am reminded of your sincere faith because Paul is actually blown out of the water by this young man's faith. He could have just said, Timothy, it is amazing the faith that you have. But he gives credit to the grandmother and to the mother. Paul acknowledges Timothy is only where he is today because of his mom, because of his grandmother. They were a powerful influence uh, in his life. And if you're tuned in this morning and you're a grandmother, please do not underestimate the influence and the impact that you can have on your grandchildren. You are influencing a brand new generation. The power of a praying mom, the power of a praying grandmother should not ever be looked as insignificant but profound because God wants to use you so your kids and children can see Jesus in you. So this week I, uh, I pulled up my grandmother's Bible. That's one of the uh, prized possessions that I have. I have my grandmother's Bible and my grandfather's Bible. And uh, I have so many memories, by the way, of my grandmother opening up her Bible, studying it and reading it and praying. And if, if you could, probably can't get a close-up, but... Uh, you can see it is well marked and tattered, and uh, it's been used. It's kind of well worn for sure. And, and as I was reading through it, I came across just a number of things. In fact, I think I could never, I wouldn't even have to study for any more sermons. There's enough sermons in her Bible for it to last me for another 10 years. Uh, and so I just wrote a couple things that I found that she had written in her Bible. Uh, she had said, uh, I am not what I might be, I'm not what I ought to be, I'm not what I wish to be, I'm not what I hope to be, but thank God I am not what I once was. I love that statement. I love when she said in here, God formed us and transformed us, or sin deformed us, but Christ transformed us. And she writes on here, um, Jim Elliott's quote, many of us know, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I thought this was interesting. She wrote this in her Bible. In a, in a moment of severe temptation, Augustine, one of the church fathers, Augustine said to himself, thou fool, does thou not know that thou art carrying God around with thee? And then my grandmother just wrote down below that I should always be conscious of the fact that God goes with me wherever I go. I am literally an ambassador of his. And then I really thought this was very interesting in her Bible because she used to teach the teen class at church. And I remember being a teenager in her class when I'd be visiting her. And she wrote in her Bible, and she said, I taught the book of Genesis in 1975, in 1972, and she lists all of her students that she had. And then she said, in 1973, I taught the taught the book of Acts to the teens. In 74, I taught the book of Exodus. In 75, I taught the book of 2 Peter and Judges. And then she wrote in here, she said, I took five months off when my husband died, which would be my grandfather. And then she resumed her uh, Sunday school class. And then, this was very interesting, she says, I read through my Bible in 1987, 88, 89, 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, but in 95, I didn't get it all the way through. Really, a, a woman of great influence on my life. And so grandmas, I just want you to know, don't ever underestimate the impact and the influence that you have. The memories of just seeing my grandmother sit in her chair reading, 
praying and seeking God's face has really borne a mark in me, realizing the importance of God. And then moms, of course, you carry an enormous amount of responsibility. You're the heart of the home. And at times you wonder, will you ever make it? Because sometimes life just gets so overwhelming at times. But you will make it. And the reason I say you will make it, I base that on something I read this week in John chapter 6. And I want to read it, and I hope it will be an encouragement to you this morning. Encouragement to all of us, but particularly to our moms this morning. In John chapter 6, it's, it's a very familiar story to a lot of us. Maybe for some, it may be the first time you've ever heard it. But it's Jesus and the feeding of the, of the 5,000. Uh, we say 5,000 because it says there are 5,000 men, but in reality it's probably 20,000. You consider the men and the women and, and, and the children. But let me just give you, uh, just read a couple of verses here um, to bring, uh, freshen up the story for you. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside, sat down with the disciples, the Jewish Passover festival is near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy food for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. For he already, knew, already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wage to buy enough food to feed all these people. For even just to have one bite... Another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fishes, but how, how is that among so many? Jesus says, have the people sit down. And there were plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had... When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again into the mountain by himself. So here's the situation, what we have here. There is this desire by the disciples to be able to feed everybody. They want to feed the crowd, but there's a reality that they don't have enough. They don't have what it takes to be able to feed the masses. And then when they do actually gather up everything that they can find in the crowd, they realize, well, we have this, but really, what is that amongst so many people? And Jesus is getting ready to show that he is actually more than enough. You know, I think of moms, you know, life is just going so fast and it's hard to keep up with it all. And sometimes, you know, we, we get so stressed out, we, we got to take a couple pills just to handle it or, or maybe we got to calm down and so we take a drink just so we can handle life. It's just, it's just moving so fast. I heard one mom say recently, I love to go back to the days when I just had babies. You burp them, and you change a diaper, and you put them back to bed, and you get to feed them what you want to feed them. But as soon as they learn how to talk, they have an opinion. I don't want this. I don't want to wear that. I don't like to eat this. 
And so as I was going through this and just thinking about moms and all that you deal with every single day of your life, and I come across this story, this miracle, this miracle in some ways makes no sense. Because most of the times when Jesus is performing miracles, it's because there's a crisis. Like there's a lame man. He's been lame for 40 years. Somebody's got to do something or he's always going to be like that. Or, or, or there's a blind man. Or there's that woman who spent her entire fortune and she's been hemorrhaging all of her life and somebody has to step in and do something. But in this situation, Jesus could have just sent everyone home. He said, hey, everybody, head home tonight, and tomorrow we'll be back together again, and I'll have some more things to teach. There's not really any major crises here, and yet Jesus is getting ready to do something that literally is going to blow his disciples out of the water. Here's the situation. There is more demand then there is supply. They're working out of a deficit. And sometimes, I think our moms, people in general, you just feel like you don't have enough to give. And so the text here is arguing ideal versus reality. The ideal is you want to be there. You want to be able to meet everyone's needs. But the reality is you can't. And you come to this conclusion, even if I had a, half a year's wage, I couldn't do everything that I wanted to do. Even with a half a year's wage, all I would do is be giving them a crumb when your desire is you want to give them a loaf. The ideal is you, you want to be enough, but the reality is you just feel like you're running out. And Philip comes to Jesus and just gives him the facts. We don't have enough. And Sometimes, moms, I... I I think you feel like you just don't have any more to give. You love serving your family. You love your family, but there's just no more to give. And sometimes I think maybe God puts us in those situations where we don't have enough, where we realize we, we are a limited resource because God wants us to know we may not be enough, but he is enough. All this pressure to be more than enough. The truth is, we can't be more than enough, but God can. God can. These circumstances that we just read here didn't just happen. Jesus set the whole thing up. In verse 6, he says he knew exactly what he was going to do, but he was testing them. And sometimes God puts us in situations that are so overwhelming. You know why? So we can discover him again afresh and anew. You know, if we were gathered here today, I'd, I'd ask moms, how many moms feel overwhelmed? And I think a lot of hands would go up because it's just, it can be overwhelming in that role of mom. And I want to remind you today that when life is overwhelming, God is more than enough. Trying to be everything to everybody is stressful. It stresses you out. So let's let go of that and just be reminded, but God is enough. I'm not enough, but God is. God is enough. Sometimes I, I wish we could maybe be a little more real in our relationships. You know, I love you, but I'm probably going to disappoint you at times. I love you, but there may be times I let you down. I really love you, but there may be times that, you know, I, I, I get on your nerves it's kind of real, right, in, in relationships. So it's okay to know that you're not enough. That's okay because God is enough. 
I've talked to a number of parents, some who have some real guilt because they have had a child that's gone off the rails. And, and you just want to step in. You want to fix it. You want to have control. You want to do something. And you realize you can't. You know that you're not enough. But God is. God is enough. You're just one person. But God is enough. Even though there's this pressure on you as a mom to be more than enough. So many expecting so much of you. And here we have Jesus creating a situation that causes the disciples to take inventory of what they have. And so they do. They take inventory and they say, well, we, got, we have two fishes and five loaves uh, of bread. That's the fact. They didn't have enough. And when you don't have enough, you know what? We get desperate at times. And so God creates this situation so the disciples will know their limitations. Sometimes I think God strips us down to our two fishes and five barley loaves. So we're forced to look to him. Where God takes your not enough and makes it more than enough. Mom, I realize there, there's the pressure to be this perfect mom you look on Pinterest, you look on other people's Facebook page, and you feel like, i got to do more. i got to be the perfect mom. But there's a lot of freedom when you know you don't have to be perfect because God is. A lot of freedom to know that you, you don't have to be more than that because you know God is. It's okay to know that you, you won't be able to measure up to everybody's expectation. That's okay because God is enough. Mom, God is enough for you to do the job that God has called you to do. To help mold and shape and influence and impact and teach and love and lead and nurture your family. So never underestimate your position. It has profound impact on your entire family. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.